general nerdery. We've been recording for three years, and it wasn't until you hit the record button that I remember that I opened with this. <laughs> uh, uh, behind the scenes, we've just been recording other podcasts. I was like, yeah, and Tyler will do his intro. Oh, oh no. <laughs> no intro for Tyler on this one. <laughs> Welcome to General Nerdery, your podcast about liking things. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. We're here to talk about the Justice League again. We'll get to that in a moment. Very excited. Yeah, jelly. <laughs> so much fun. Uh, before that, what have we been ingesting? What have... So... <laughs> it's it's mostly just been like three things this this past week. Mm-hmm. Um, and two of them are like repeats. I've been doing a... A uh, rewatch of all of Ted Lasso. I've almost refinished the first season, and I've watched all of the third season. That's I've watched the first two episodes of the third season now twice. I haven't seen this week's episode yet. I haven't seen this week's yet either. I don't. This rewatch has been going really weird because, like, I've seen those first two seasons a number of times. Already. Oh yeah. So I'm not paying super close attention. But I'll also restart an episode if I realize I've been paying no attention. <laughs> like, sure, I've seen this like 15 times, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to not watch it. So the rewatch is actually going kind of slow because I've been like just like zoning out and just like doing other shit. And then like, oh, I only saw like five minutes of that episode. I need to see at least 10 minutes of that episode. <laughs> and I'll go and re-go back to it. Uh, mostly what I've been zoning out on is more Marvel Snap. That game is consuming your life. I mean, kind not in a of, bad way, but yeah. like <laughs> it's it's replaced my other mobile gaming because I don't think I've picked up Pokemon Go since I got COVID. Oh yeah, that's been a minute. Yeah, um, it kind of knocked me out of the the loop of playing it, especially because it meant that I was like stuck inside and not able to go do anything while they were doing the primal energy for the fucking Grudon and shit. And if you break the pogo momentum, it can get real hard to get back in, which is why I haven't been playing either. But like snap, it's easy to like get to the bus stop, play a match and then get on the bus. Fair. Yeah. I've downloaded Pokemon Snap. Not Pokemon Snap. I have that at home on the Switch. Yeah. <laughs> I've downloaded Marvel Snap, but I haven't played any of it yet. For me, the thing that's been interesting lately is that um, I guess like I had gotten this far last time, but uh, now that I'm in Pool 3, it's kind of like where the game really opens up and you actually get to start making the different meta decks that are actually doing well and like you actually have a chance at increase like uh, like a real good chance of actually increasing your rankings if you want to Mm -hmm. um and i haven't been like trying to do that too hard yet but there's a couple cards that i'm still kind of going for to to put together a couple other decks that i want to screw around with and there's still like a couple cards i need to finish off the the deck that i'm currently using the way that i like and it's just kind of fun and like the different variants i've been able to start like plopping down some of the in-game, in-game gold to get those and being like, oh, cool, look how cute my little baby Morph- Morbius is. And um, I don't know. I've just got to the point in the game where it's just really, really opened up because there's more cards in Pool 3 than any of the other pools. And it's like the most impactful cards where mm, like you have entire decks designed around cards and stuff. So it's it's now to the 
I was enjoying the game before, but now it's the full like card building that I've been hoping for. Uh, that I get to screw around with yeah, a little bit more. Yeah, that's why I haven't started it yet, because I've never been a good deck builder in get these kind of games, so... Uh, I mean, this is this is a good one to screw around with, though, since yeah. it's only a 12-card deck. Oh, like, yeah. oh, really? I didn't realize that yes. it was only 12. I'm definitely going to play it. As I said, I just I downloaded it the other day and I haven't gotten to it yet. Uh, yeah, 12-card deck, usually only a six-round game. At most, it can be nine rounds. Okay. Every once in a while, it'll only be four rounds. I'm realizing how much Magic the Gathering has traumatized me as I like listen to this and be like, I think I could handle that. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's simple. <laughs> it's, it's even to the point where like I don't mind losing because whatever, whatever yeah. I only spent two minutes on it. Like, Welcome to why I do foam fighting. If I die, I'm back up again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, the, other, the one other thing, though, that's actually new and hasn't, isn't just something that I've been doing for a while anyway is I started watching Severance. And holy fuck, that show is good. That's on Apple? Apple. Okay. It's a dark comedy workplace thriller with Adam Scott and Christopher Walken and John Turturro and Patricia I apparently Arquette. had no idea what this show was because I'd heard the name Severance and I think I thought it was... Um, there's one called Succession or something like that. Oh, that I yeah. Oh. I think I was like blending them together. So Severance, this is fucking wild. Um, it's like, I don't even know if you have to do this procedure to work at the corporation in general. I think it's just for certain positions. But there's a megacorp that you can go work for that in some of the positions, there's an elective procedure you can undergo called severance. And what it does is they put an implant in your brain and it splits your consciousness so outside you never has to experience being at work. Your consciousness switches over to like, kind of like in work personality. Well, I hate everything about this. When you walk into work and then it switches back to like you once you leave work, mm -hmm. which sounds amazing. I don't think it does, but... Well, okay. it sounds amazing to never have to experience work. Yes. No, I see where like the how they're selling it, but it also... Man, that poor work part of your brain that only experiences that work. That only experiences work. It's wild. It is a hilarious, dark, dark comedy where there are some scenes where it's just like explaining like, yeah, yeah, we don't we don't sleep. So, you know, like I like to try to focus early on in the day on the feeling that I'm suddenly feeling rested. <laughs> And like maybe, maybe my muscles suddenly aren't as sore as they were yesterday. Like oh no, I hate everything about this. I I can see how it would make really good television. Don't get me wrong, but oh. well, and especially when uh, on the inside a coworker disappears and is supposedly fired or something overnight, but then appears out in the outside world with his memories of being inside and is trying to contact Adam Scott's character. Weird. Okay. That's yeah. where it sort of kicks That's off. That's where the storyline, yeah. And he's like, I'm pretty sure that the corporation's doing something shady. I'm not 100% what, but I know where to start getting information if you're willing to go down this rabbit hole with me. I like it. That actually sounds really interesting. It is wildly good. Most of the episodes so far have been directed by Ben Stiller, and it is blowing my mind that Ben Stiller is one of the greatest television directors alive today based on only those episodes. 
Stiller's an interesting dude. Like, I, I've not always been a big fan of his comedies, but even in the stuff that I'm like, eh, whatever, he tends to be, he does his stuff well. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not comparing him to John Favreau, all, but, like, in that similar, even if it's a John Favreau thing I don't care for, a.k.a. Elf. Um, you don't like Elf? I don't like Elf. I don't know what it is. You know what? I'm going to admit, like, I didn't like Elf at first either. But I've watched it like three times in the past year and it grows on me more every time. It It is very technically well done. Like, if, you know, it, it, it is a very well-crafted movie. It's one of those I definitely get why people like it. Part of it is there's only like two Will Ferrell movies I actually like. Hmm. And it's the Superstar. least. What? Superstar. Definitely not. <laughs> it's uh, Stranger Than Fiction and The Producers. <laughs> That Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back? I forgot that he was in that one. As Marshall Will and Holly? He's fine. He plays Will Ferrell in that movie. I just, I love him being in that because it's one of those rare occasions where a joke aged extremely well. Because Kev made his character's name a joke reference to Land of the Lost. His character's name in that is Marshall Will and Holly. For Marshall, Will... And Holly. Okay. And then eight years after that, well, he was in Land, Land of the Lost. Lost. Jesus, I forgot about. I never watched that TV show, so I was like, "Oh, that's a thing," and then just didn't pay attention. Um, for my ingesting, uh, I don't remember if I. I'm trying to remember which of these things that I've brought up last week or not. Definitely, as I said, we've seen the first two episodes of Ted Lasso. I don't know if you've noticed online how. Desperate people seem to be to not like Ted Lasso. No, all my clickbait lately has been Marvel Snap related. Okay. That's where my algorithm's currently I mean, at. and I'm going to use the worst possible example because it was, you know, Google's like, do you want to look at this article? And I'm like, mm, about 50% of the time. But they sent me a fucking New York Post one on Ted Lasso. Mm. And they were very far off of like, nauseatingly optimistic Ted Lasso doesn't work without COVID. I was like, fuck you, man. Like... One. No, what doesn't work without COVID is Tiger King. Oh, yeah. Oh, that. I never even watched it during COVID. But, um, like, Ted Lasso is not an example of something that doesn't work during COVID. Well, one, people keep being like, it's too optimistic. And I'm like, it has gotten so, like, I mean, optimism does remain a defining theme of the show, but that's not a bad thing. No, it's. And it's, it feels. Very grounded lately. Yeah, it's very much dealing with reality and how do you stay optimistic and believe in the people around you while dealing with reality. I mean, Mm -hmm. really dealing with reality has been his whole fucking thing. I've really liked the first two episodes. I mean, it's hard to say, like, any any show it is hard to judge by episode two but i haven't noticed at least in my opinion any like huge drop in quality no not same here i've still been enjoying the show the one thing i know there were only i mean i know that there's a third episode that i just haven't watched yet but only two episodes in i am curious how this is going to be the last season and it'll end satisfactorily I'm curious about but that. But I'm not worried about it. No, I'm exactly. Just it's episode two. Yeah. And also, I desperately need more Sam Obasanya, but from what little I've seen, we're going to get more of that next episode. Mm-hmm. This is what happens when you have a large cast. Like, there's just 
rush them all in immediately Mm -hmm. every episode. And like Ted had some stuff he had to like figure out. Yeah. I'm not worried about it, but I am starting to get curious. Like Mm -hmm. how is this going to be the last season? And um, you know, all this to say, it's not to say you can't dislike Ted Lasso if it's not for you or whatever, but like all of the reviews are just like desperate to not enjoy the optimism of the show. Oh, it doesn't work without COVID. We just, we needed a reason to be happy. We still do. Yeah. That has not gone away. Like I am, we are all culturally still traumatized from the last couple of years. It's okay to have a show about like healing from trauma and thinking the best of those around us. Cause it's important. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. What else have I, Oh, sorry. Oh, I, well, I realized just while talking about Ted Lasso that I'm an episode behind on Mando because I haven't watched this week's yet. Well, I will not talk about Mando too much then. I've definitely been watching that. It remains super fucking cool. It's Mando. Um, I was, I feel so bad. I was super excited to come. Like I usually have kind of a Wednesday ritual. Like that's because Tuesday nights when everything drops, but I don't have time when I get home to watch it. Yeah. Like, I get through work, work nights. Yeah. So I get through work the next day. And then I come home and I watch it after work. And Mm -hmm. it's like my treat. I'll usually get like a dessert to go with it. Maybe it's a little something special for dinner, not just, you know, my usual. And so I did all that and I came home and I turned on Ted Lasso. (laughs) And it was only while going to work the next day. I was like, man, that was a good episode of Ted Lasso. (laughs) Shit. I didn't watch Mando. (laughs) Yeah. We have uh, two episodes to go on Bad Batch. This season is Absolutely incredible. Um, yeah, I heard that the last episode. I've not nutty. seen it yet. I've gotten some spoiler, but pfft, it'd be hard for it not to be nutty with the like pace it's been going and the quality of it. Also, Wanda Sykes is in this season. I love Wanda I Sykes. I love Wanda Sykes. She plays an adventurer like Indiana Jones style pirate. I, that sounds amazing. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is a notably better season than the last season. And the last season was good. Uh, and then something read, um, I don't remember if I've mentioned this, I've been reading more, oddly I've been reading more slice of life and romance manga, and I'm not sure why, but it's nice. The thing that manga does better than American comic books is the slice of life is the, just like, yes, there's zany characters in this, but it's not, it doesn't have to have an alien mm-hmm. or someone with superpowers or a sudden super dark. I mean, obviously there's plenty of manga that does that, but like this is a story of a couple of college kids or high school kids or whatever. And like the blooming's a first love in a way that is not an obnoxiously sickeningly soap opera sweet. Mm -hmm. The, the one I'm reading right now, and this one is a little over, overly saccharine at a couple of points. There are a few points that I was like, okay, I have to remember that I'm not necessarily the target audience as a <laughs> right. mid-30s white man for this manga clearly aimed for like high school girls primarily, but I'm still really enjoying it, called uh, Kubo Won't Let Me Be Invisible. <laughs> I've, I've actually heard of this. Okay. And the main run of this is there's this poor fucking kid who is functionally invisible. He can sit in class all day long and people will think he wasn't there. He'll get the perfect attendance award. Mr. Cellophane. And people don't believe him. Um, 
cameras have trouble, like, picking him up. So, like, automatic doors don't work for him sometimes. And the one person in this school who, like, can see him is this character, Kubo, who is just endlessly amused. And she will torture him, friendly torture, but mm -hmm. torture him to, like, test the boundaries of this. Like, okay. I'm going to make you stand on your desk in class because I have something on you. Or, like, uh, I'm going to sit in your lap while talking <laughs> to someone and see if anyone notices. I'm going to yada, okay. yada, yada. And it's, she's clearly got a crush on him. It's getting more and more. Almost every volume has at least one chapter that ends with one of the characters just blushing I mean, it's black and white, so it's not yeah. deep red, but there's the stylization that you're like, oh, their face is on fire right now. Yeah. Um, and because it's, you know, about teenagers with a crush on each other, as I said, it gets a little overly saccharine sometimes, but it's extremely well done. Yeah. Um, and then last one, and I'll be real fast on this, is the the romance manga that got me going on this is called uh, Comey Can't Communicate. Okay. Which is about a girl with a hardcore communication disorder. Like she just can't talk to people, but she wants to make friends with people, mm. but she gets too anxious about it. And it's another admittedly kind of forgettable, forgettable, but nice mm -hmm. main male character befriends her and is helping her in her quest to make 100 friends. Oh, okay. And I, I've read all of the manga. I fucking bought like 26 volumes in a very short period of time. Cause it's really good. And I started watching the anime and the anime, it's kind of like food wars where the pacing fucking threw me for a loop for a second. Cause I was like in food wars, I'm like, all right, this pervy scene lasts a panel. And in the anime, it lasts a strong 30 <laughs> <Yeah>. seconds. <laughs> um, like, wow, this is still going on. It's not that this is not nearly as it's not a, Tenth as horny mm -hmm. as the fucking first chapter of Food Wars, but the the pacing where in the manga I'm like this is like kind of a quiet and I'm watching the anime and I'm like this is very in your face but extremely well the animation's just gorgeous nice. so yeah heck yeah my um that's it right yep that's take the break and we come back we'll go into something way better than the things we're talking about here. So, JLA, part two. It's interesting for me. I was so excited to get to this stuff. I was like, yeah, this is where it really takes off. And it does. But rereading this, with a couple of exceptions, I think some of the storylines from the first part are better. Yeah. I think on average. Yeah. Now, yeah. I think Grant Morrison's climax, at the, which we'll get to next week, will be... is my favorite JLA run bit of all time. So... I was just kind of surprised by that. I think it's interesting. Part of it, this is where we start to get some of the uh, the famous run, but not written by Grant Morrison. The first one we get is written by Christopher Priest, who's best known for, well, a lot of things, but probably these days best known for his uh, Black Panther run. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He only does one issue here, but like his Black Panther run, Black Panther as we understand him today exists because of that run. He had actually just before this finished up a run on Justice League Task Force, which we had been making fun of last last issue or last episode. What did we all read this week? We read JLA Strength in Numbers, which is a terrible, as we've talked about, but it is um, 
Justice League Secret Files Volume 2 Prometheus, just a single issue introducing Prometheus, and JLA 16 through 23, as well as the JLA 1 million uh, miniseries. But we did we read the collected edition, which peppered in important moments from some of the side books. Right. Which we will get into more when we get to that part. Where this opens up is maybe the weakest standalone single issue of this entire stuff, but it's an issue I run. I, I not run. It's an issue of the run that I really enjoy because I always enjoy the recruiting of the team, the team coming together kind of stuff. Like the, like we're putting real thought into this team, not just, Hey, we were thrown together and now we're a squad. Right. I was, uh, when reading through it, I was a little bit down like, eh, okay, they're officially disbanded as of the last issue, but mm. like, this is immediately going into like pulling it all back together again. I'm like, okay, that's cool. And I was like, eh, whatever. I've seen this thing happen before. And then was immediately pulled back in and they're like, yeah, so we need some more thinkers because we're lacking in that. And like, do we got somebody on the occult? And like they're actually trying to cover bases. And yeah. I was like, and th that's what I enjoy. The, the, the real thought into like, we are the world's premier superhero team. We have to be ready for everything because we're who they call when anything gets too bad. And it's weird that it was like those little details that I was like, oh, wait, OK, no. Now I like this again. One of my favorites is uh, it's a page where Guy Gardner shows up on the moon base <sighs> as a warrior <laughs> and he's like, well, they left, so I'm going to lead a new JLA. This is something you won't get. This is a almost image for image recreation, word for word recreation of the first page of Justice League International. Oh, except that's Green Lantern. It's him in the jail in the new Justice League headquarters declaring himself leader. OK, in that issue or in that first storyline, Batman punches out Guy Gardner and knocks him unconscious. Which is why when Batman walks up to him and just glares at him, he steps down. Like, that's because Batman's beat the shit out of him before. It's also where the legendary Just One Punch mm. came from. I, it, it's not super important to it, but it is that kind of, like... One thing I respect about this book is that it brings JLA to new heights, but it feels a loyalty to stories that have come before and connections to it. Um... So let's go with this, actually, I think. Let's talk about the uh, the new members, the new recruits of the League. Okay. The one I can think of most is Huntress, because she keeps popping up mm -hmm. continually. The The initial recruits that they pick up, we have Huntress, Helena Bernatelli, the, the black sheep of the Batman family. Really, she only counts as a member of the Batman family because she operates in Gotham and Batman can't get her to stop. Right. <laughs> uh, Zariel is brought back and inducted right. into the league, and it makes me very happy. Plastic Man is brought back That's and inducted right. to the league. And Steel is given the credit that he deserves and brought into the league. Now, here's what I was curious about. When they selected these characters, they were very purposely aping old school Justice League stuff. Do you know what those are? I don't think I do. They are all purposely recreations of the original uh, inductees of the first members of the League. Huntress 
is Black Canary and Green Arrow mixed into one character. Mm. Uh, uh, Plastic Man is the elongated man. Man. I mean, literally, elongated man exists because uh, they didn't realize they had the rights to Plastic Man. And uh, Plastic Man at one point does mention... Like he straight up brings that up. He's he like, makes most fun of the of time, elongated man. <laughs> well, and he brings up. He's like, well, last time it was elongated man in this position. Mm-hmm. Zariel is Hawkman and Hawk Girl, and Steel is the one that's a bit more of a rough one. But it's Adam. It's the super scientist turned oh, superhero. Oh yeah, okay. I see it is that. literally the second generation league of this is the second generation league of the sixties comic. Mm-hmm. This is part of what I mean when I was saying that this book is kind of silver age romanticism. They use old school silver age villains in many cases. I mean, they bring in new ones too, but old school silver age villains, the key has shown up. Who yeah. gives a fuck about the key? No, I still don't. Fuck, I mean, I, I know, it, but like, a, it, it was a great issue, but like, I still don't care about Starro the key. will show up in this one. Yes. Like, uh, they, they bring in all sorts of old school, goofy shit to make it work and it's updated. And some of it's very nineties. The key is so nineties in the look that we had last time. Mm -hmm. And injustice gang is just straight up the fucking secret society of supervillains or the Legion of doom or whatever you want to call them. Also bringing Oracle into the big stage is such a good Oracle. I love Oracle. I love Oracle. I am glad I understood why they brought Barbara Gordon back as Batgirl. I didn't want it. I liked her better as she was. I am glad that they seem to have found in the modern day a kind of mixed thing where she's mostly Oracle, but she can suit up as Batgirl when she needs to. It it is the best balance we're going to get of... I understand that Barbara is the iconic Batgirl and they don't want to lose that, but also... Oracle she always is felt so much, so much more, more important and yes. useful. And I, she feels like she runs things when she's Oracle. She doesn't mm-hmm. feel like she runs things when she's Batgirl. And she was running stuff in Gotham. And like she first appeared in Suicide Squad of all places mm. as Oracle. Because John Ostrander was pissed that they were underusing <laughs> uh, Batgirl. And bringing her into a member of the JLA, she, from this point on, she's not just the ear for the bat family. She's the eye in the sky for the entire superhero community. Anyone with connections to the bat family or the justice league can now call on Oracle to get her shit done, which Mm -hmm. is asking way too much of one person, but, but she knew what she signed up for. Oh, it's good. (laughs) Yeah. What does it go on? I'm going to rely on you for guiding us through this because even though I write it all in the past 24 hours, no, it's, I write it all in in the the last 24. 24 Yeah. It's exactly like, I would read six chapters instead of one. And then they'd be like, all right, let's talk about the homework. And I'm like, where was I supposed to stop? Right. <laughs> like, um, so there we meet uh, Prometheus for the very first time. And uh, okay. he's got the hardcore Batman, but opposite origin story. Right. So there was a part of me where I was like, this is... Like, I knew knew of Prometheus. I had read some about Prometheus when they introduced a really not Prometheus version of Prometheus into Flash. Oh, that made Flash. me so angry. And Prometheus came up in the Midnighter run we read right. forever ago, mm-hmm. which I was very excited about and did not realize you had not read this run back in the day. But actually, like, 
finding out Prometheus's story, I'm also just kind of like, well, so you're Bane, but you're not. Yes, he falls into the trope of the uh, anti-bat. Mm-hmm. Almost directly. I will say to his credit in this one, he's run as the anti-Justice League as opposed to the anti-Bats. That being said, like as much as I was like, well, you're just kind of giving me Bane again. I was like, this is also the storytelling in that issue is just really well done. Mm -hmm. And his costume is killer. His costume is killer. The Crooked House is fucking amazing. So the storytelling was that's what sold. I was like, Mm -hmm. This guy, like, the way he's pulling it in and, like, he's not really giving up information as, like, this info dump, but he's setting up the other guy to, like, keep getting the info out of him. And oh, I love it. So as a quick rundown of this, uh, the Justice League is announcing their new team. And as a kind of press release, there's an interesting thing where the League is actually dealing with the press as an organization and like dealing with the wider community and the like public relations in a way that most superhero teams don't. It reminded just because I've watched the show so much, it reminded me of the first episode of young justice where they're interfacing with the media, probably directly inspired by this kind of stuff. I kind of like the Young Justice version more where like they let the media into the Hall of Justice on Earth but they don't get to know about the the, moon the watchtower, what, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but anyways, as as part of kind of a PR stunt charity thing, they let a uh, superhero for a day and someone gets to like make up a superhero identity and they will be an honorary Justice League member for a day. Mm-hmm. I I think they say it's for charity. I don't necessarily understand how that worked it's not important the point is this guy decides to come up with a very silver age stupid but like fun stupid you know stanley who wants to be a superhero yeah oh i was hitting from rage from the past and it gave me the powers and the optimism of yesterday and it like it's dumb but it's fun Mm -hmm. he's got a very kurt swan superman vibe to him going on and prometheus fucking kidnaps and murders this dude before that tells him his story. And he's literally the reverse Batman. His parents were a rogue group of criminals that are kind of half Bonnie and Clyde and half the Manson family. It looks, his dad looks kind of like Angar the Screamer, which we just did a word balloons episode (laughs) on. So he's very much on our minds, but uh, yeah, It was a thing in the 90s. If you're going to do rogue outlaws, I mean, it's not uncommon to have a a Bonnie and Clyde Mm -hmm. feel to it, but it's the the hippies gone bad. And it tracks. I mean, this is 1998. Mm -hmm. So 20 years ago would have been the 70s. You would have gotten the dark age, like the dark post hippie era. And they're killed by justice. And so he's against justice. They're killed by police. And yeah, he's definitely like, oh, it's the police officer's fault that they died. My wonderful parents. But his parents murdered. Like, I hate to side with the police on anything just as a rule. His parents were very murderous bank robbers who like purposely ended this in a gunfight with the police. Like. And it's a miracle their kid didn't get hit in that shit. <laughs> yes, like they are they are bad parents. This is not random fat cops' fault. 
No. It's very rare in history that it's not random fat cop's fault. But like in this case. Yeah, no, this is on his parents. <laughs> <laughs> so in a very Batman move, except going, you know, instead of Alfred, he goes to the underworld, the people who have connections and gets money and yada, yada, yada. And he travels the world learning to be the world's greatest criminal. Mm-hmm. Which has some kind of Phantom X vibes to it too, like it just yep, a little bit of Phantom X or Lupin the Third, really mm-hmm. any kind of like super criminal thing, but with a much darker urge to it. And like you said, he kind of sets himself up to be the anti League. Mm-hmm. He finds he goes looking for Shambhala, which is I think an old school like pulp reference that might even be like where the Shadow was trained in some versions. That sounds actually right. I'm pretty sure Shambhala predates DC, but it's one of those things that people like to toss in. But, I mean, it could be Kamartage from Marvel. It's Mm -hmm. any, like, pick your mysterious Tibetan city with some problematic stereotypes, but is fun because it's pulp. Mm -hmm. And he meets an evil monk who gives him the... Oh, I can't remember what they call it. the, The forever key, the... Cosmic, Cosmic key. key. Cosmic key. Which introduces another weird fucking goofy ghost zone. Yeah, well, and uh uh what I was gonna say, kind of mystic tchotchke in the same way that like we've seen the war like right, briefly, yeah. or over in Marvel you have the cosmic cube or the infinity gauntlet or the you know Or we're about to see the Warlagog again very briefly. Yeah. I just like saying Warlagog. <laughs> Definite like implications of maybe some Cthulhu-esque shit going on behind the scenes of the, the temple. But yeah, he finds himself in the crooked uh the crooked house, which is a really messed up house. It also seems kind of connected to like the house of mystery, the house of secrets, a lot of the what used to be uh collections for short horror stories with like Mm-hmm. narrators but kind of tur- got turned into vertigo property thanks to like Neil Gaiman but it's definitely implied Marv- uh, one thing I thought that Grant Morrison did that I appreciated here was uh, there's all of these limbo things and he really turns them into the same place the phantom zone is the ghost zone is literal limbo that it's not that there's 20 different all white neutral places that you can get trapped in. That's kind of a living hell. It's they're all the same and different people have different names for them and different ways of getting there. Yeah. It's how Marvel is like blurring things. And every once in a while it drives me nuts, but it makes sense to not have fucking 80 tchotchkes that are completely separate that do functionally the same stuff. Mm -hmm. Prometheus fucking decides he's going to take out the justice league because much like Lex Luthor, he found the forming of the Big Seven into a league a personal challenge because egotism and sociopathy. But I was about to say, was didn't he almost choose a different target? Like, wasn't he going to take out the Supreme Court? And then he was like, Justice League stands could, for more than them. Or I could kill. Yeah, which feels really prescient in the modern day. How we've <laughs> yeah. lost all trust in the Supreme Court. He's got that. I forgot that he's got that. Like, super cool, overpowered Tonfa. Yeah. <laughs> like, Steel's hammer, but a Tonfa. That, that gets Steel at first, but then Steel comes back. The wild 1998 aspect of this is the fact that he has a CD-ROM player, like a mini-disc player, 
in his helmet that he can upload stuff into. And I was like, Jesus Christ. Like, I remember when this felt, you know, even in like 2003, when I discovered this book, when this felt like futuristic and now I'm loading a CD player into my helmet feels so fucking anachronistic. Does he come back during this Morrison run at any point? There will be another okay. Prometheus story. I'm not going to go into it. Morrison writes a good Prometheus, but Prometheus suffers so hardcore after this from the anti-Batman problem of my first stories were so good. Where do I go from here? Mm -hmm. And he becomes the more times Batman beats you up, the less good you are. It becomes so pathetic that Green Arrow takes him out on his own without much difficulty. And I'm not knocking Green Arrow, but this guy's supposed to be able to, like, be a challenge to the league. Right, right. So Green and Arrow takes himself to be the first time around. Mm -hmm. And the second time, honestly. But the, you know, Green Arrow taking him out in the first part of a storyline, not even being the main villain. And it was like, <laughs> ooh, that got dark. So they had to come up with a storyline of Prometheus tried to tr take on a Robin. And that Robin stole the Prometheus outfit and, like... Ruined the Prometheus name, so Prometheus in Revenge murders the, like, anti-Robin and then blows up Green Arrow City. Jesus it was Christ. not a good storyline, but it was like, okay, you're Prometheus again. I'll at least grant you that. <laughs> but anyways, Prometheus fucking breaks into the Watchtower and wrecks their day. Yeah. How did, how did they... I... I'm suddenly blanking. How did they stop Prometheus? Well, I remember the steel ended up being able to re... He a little bit underestimated them. He didn't plan for... Like, his plans weren't as perfect as he thought they were, was the real mm -hmm. big thing. You know, he thought, oh, I've taken care of steel. It's done. He doesn't seem to really understand that a superhero's biggest strength is not that they're unbeatable. That they... It's that they bounce back. In they plastic keep trying. Hands, literally. Yeah. And he's like, I can take them out one-on-one, -on -one, but when he doesn't successfully take them all out on their first try, and he starts going up against numbers of them. Right, that's right. Mm -hmm. uh, he does a thing that sets John on fire and then breaks up his physical form for a while. He's like, oh, I've got more of that for Plastic Man, and then it just doesn't come up. He banishes Zariel to Limbo. Mm -hmm. He... Traps Superman in a way that if Superman doesn't kill himself, a bunch of people will die. Mm-hmm. Because the press is all trapped on the moon. He doesn't really have a plan for Aquaman. Like, he just doesn't seem to care. care. But Which, this is angry 90s pirate Aquaman, so you should. So this volume of stories combined a little bit with the the DC 1 million kind of is a good balance for this thing that we brought up last episode mm -hmm. where the Morrison run does kick off a little bit more of like the modern bat God. Yes. And then Batman just gets rocked a couple times in a row. Yeah. Cause one of the things he's like, I've programmed in the 23 best fighters in the world, including yourself. And then the next time we see Batman, he's just, unconscious on the floor. Mm -hmm. He's, that was a humbling experience. Uh, he does that. I don't remember. He beats Green Lantern by like basically hypnotic suggestion, making it hard for him to focus. He does right. some kind of chemical thing to take out Wally. He's 
takes out Huntress through similar ways. Doesn't really pay attention to the fact that Oracle exists, but to be honest, Batman's like, time to meet our secret weapon. And then Oracle does nothing in this story. <laughs> Plastic Man, he never encounters alone anyways. Plastic Man just helps save the Watchtower from uh, Steel's armor has been hijacked by... Right. Yeah. And he just can't bring himself to think that Steel is at least as smart as he is, despite the fact that he's Steel. Yeah. He built this incredible power armor, yada, yada, yada. Also, he doesn't have much of a plan for Wonder Woman. He's like, I think I could take you in a fight. You're a girl. Or like, I have my lasso of truth. He's like, I'll resist it. Fuck you, man. (laughs) (laughs) And then he didn't plan for the fact that Catwoman, being Catwoman, decided that... I'll sneak on board using a cat motif because I'll impersonate Cat Grant, a member of the Daily Planet, so I can steal a bunch of shit from the Justice League Watchtower. Don't even expect to win. Just want to fuck with Batman's day. (laughs) (laughs) And then, yeah, he just has no plan for, like, what do we do if there's multiple of them? He has an initial plan. He has no follow-up plan. Yeah. Classic supervillain. Like, this will work. What if it doesn't? Uh, What was that? (laughs) Although it's implied a part of what, that is just so many things are happening that the like supercomputer he's programmed into his helmet is just overloading. I mean, it is only running a fucking mini disc. <laughs> <laughs> and then this episode ends episode, whatever with uh, the new gods bringing in reinforcements of, of Orion, Orion and big Barda. Barda. Now, I think Orion is one of the least interesting of the new gods because he's just a rabid dog for the most part. Agree. I attack. I'm already like, not a big fan of the new gods in general, and Orion is bottom bottom tier new god. Which is too me. bad because they use him all of the goddamn time. Mr. Miracle is so much more interesting. Yes. And he's married to Big Barda. Yes. I will say, although I would swap out Orion for Big Barda, if they took out the big seven and just used the like backup seven of their crew here of steel, plastic man, Zariel, Huntress, big Barda, and I guess Orion, that's fine. I guess. Yeah. That's a justice league book. I would read on its own. Yeah. yeah that's, that's a great team. That's a great, I, I 100% agree. That's and we see team. it in justice league 1 million or DC one, whatever the 1 million. <laughs> uh, next up we have the weird probability machine thing. Which is mostly a very classic style Justice League story of mad scientist has created weird thing. I like this one because it's it's like weaponizing the the infinite improbability drive. Mm-hmm. And it's fun because it brings in the atom in a way that is actually like cool and useful. Mm-hmm. I don't have much to say about it. It's for as complicated of a story as it is it takes a lot of time to explain itself. So there's not much to talk about by the end of it because they kind of have to feed it to you at one point. The basic function of this overly simplified is random mad scientist named Julian September, which is there's so many seven references in this creates a probability machine to make probability happen in his way, but he doesn't pay attention to the side effects that probability goes mad. Mm-hmm. So he makes stuff work for him, but other things start happening. Seven jets lose all of their 
like their navigation, navigation so they're all going to crash into the same spot at like, the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, it just so happens that various things are happening, and then it starts. It's called the probability cancer, and it starts expanding, and suddenly. Flash doesn't have his superpowers because instead of getting superpowers being struck by lightning and doused with chemicals, he, he was just struck burnt. by lightning and doused with chemicals. <laughs> like a random stoner gets the green lantern ring instead of Kyle. Mm -hmm. um, all sorts of, you know, Batman's not Batman because the guns, the gun jam misfired. Yeah. yeah. There's a C plot that I feel like they tried to make bigger than it was and it just didn't have Oracle trying to Oracle being terrified of running into the now revived um, Martha and Thomas partially because he's she's Oracle is not helpful for a little bit because she's trying to figure out a way to fix everything without undoing the death of the Waynes. Mm -hmm. And there are moments that I can see that are good that aren't really brought into focus as a result though, just because there's so much happening. There's so much happening. But when she has these moments, one John accuses her of trying to get her legs fixed and she's like, fuck you, man. Mm -hmm. Loved that. Or talking about like, I can't let these two people be shot to death. I know what a bullet going through me feels like. And I was like, wow, that is like, mm -hmm. there's good moments and I love what they were going for, but there's just not enough time to really flesh that out. And mm -hmm. Like when it, when it gets to like where there's basically a countdown to them opening the door, I'm like, I kind of don't care. You're going to see Martha. And, and why does Bruce know who Barbara is in this? Doesn't matter. Uh, we do get the Adam in his teen Titans costume. Oh, that's right. Because the Adam in Zero Hour is de-aged to a teenager and reforms a Teen Titans group with him as the leader, which was bizarre. I've always wanted to read it because Dan Jurgens is a great writer, but they've never collected it, which makes me think that it was probably not good. Mm -hmm. But I will say, I like this costume. Yeah, it's a good. I don't costume. care about the open like you can see the hair. That's I don't. But mine. But I like it when super scientists have a vest with a lot of pockets in it. It makes sense to me because they're like, here's my inventions, especially the Adam or giant man had it for a while. Hank Pym. Mm. Cause like, I've got a bunch of pockets so I can, you know, have my take science out this stuff mini Quinjet or my lab or look at all my science stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Adam gets some cool moments to prove that the Adam matters. And the important part of the Adam has less to do with his superpowers, but the fact that, He's an adventure scientist, which is what I wish people would understand about him better. It's like, I have no probability getting into the thick of things and analyzing and sciencing the shit out of them. Hell yeah. Um, there is a strange moment at the very end of this, and they were just trying to come up with like. And it's been a running question with Oracle of these guys have so many fucking like wild abilities and they can't give her fucking robot legs. Right. Like they so, can't fix her. And she's like, no, thanks. I prefer not to be a cyborg. It's a stretch. Fine. Whatever. Yeah. Like that's your own personal feelings. I want to be a cyborg. So I don't <laughs> like, I don't. Uh, well, and then later on when they do it, she's like, oh, she's got an implant that makes her spine work. So like, how is that different than using Martian technology? 
It doesn't really work, but it falls under, and this is the ultimate problem of comic books. We've talked about this before, of superhero comics. We introduce all of this wild science, but you have to keep a level of grounded realism in the world, mm-hmm. which means you're going to have characters whose spine don't work because of injuries that they can't fix, even though there's... You should be able to fix it. Random <laughs> stuff that should fix it. Yeah, like the regeneration chamber in the fucking Fortress of Solitude is more valuable than most shit Superman does in an average day. But it breaks reality too much if we don't... Yeah, if we use it. But honestly, like, just walk down the street and get bombarded with some strange energies. <laughs> You're probably fine. Uh, this brings us into what is my least favorite part of this run. It's the Adam Strange story. Oh, yeah. It's, it's fine. I but liked less... it more by the end when you realize the full picture of what's been oh, going sure. on. Because are... it's a complicated story. Because it seems like there's multiple uh, treachery, treacherous events going on. And you realize how they all kind of nest together and how everybody's actually working towards good. Mm-hmm. But it's really fucking complicated and you kind of have to get to the end or else... There's just a couple characters that are just being dicks the entire time. Yeah. Looks like John Jones has turned traitor again. I would find that less exhausting if it hadn't happened within 20 issues of this happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is written by Mark Wade with guest artist Arnie Jorgensen. Jorgensen? I don't know. There's nothing wrong with his work. It is somehow more ugly than what we've been reading already. And... I like, um, oh God, I'm blanking his name already. The, the main artist for this run. Um, oh God, I don't remember already. Howard Porter. There you go. But Howard Porter's work is not pretty. Even if I like his stuff, I will say the level that he has advanced just in the like 20 issues that we've read of this is very, very noticeable. Mm hmm. Makes sense, because as we talked about, he'd only done about 20 issues of comic books before this run. So this is just doubling the work he's done in his life. That'll do it. I will say, I mean, there are things that I like of this of this stuff. I thought that the very opening bit where we get to kind of celebrate that Superman is back to being normal oh, Superman yeah. and not electric blue energy power Superman. Honestly, I was kind of thrown off for a couple of issues. I was really missing the electric blue, but then a couple of issues in, I was like, no, no, we're good. This is how Superman's supposed to look. Electric blue Superman has a really interesting character and a really bad Superman. It's really where it lands for me. But like, instead of just, Oh, look, Superman's back as his normal thing, having a moment where they actually, deal with it was nice. Although the idea that they keep the keys, random key gun loaded with a fucking missile in it on a tower on the moon. Yeah, that was weird. Ridiculously like terrible. Yeah. I will. (laughs) I like them having a moment to be like, look, soups is back just the way we like him. But there's only a, a couple like, thrown off like offhand comments being like so wonder woman you're actually hippolyta cool 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 cool. we're just gonna move on from that <laughs> and that's why i like that they did do this because it <laughs> bugged me although 
Steel will make a, a comment when talking to her later on. I think it's in DC One Million where he's like, I thought your mother was you for the first month we worked together. I didn't realize it was someone different, which was a very uh, audience reaction moment because I also did not realize that for large parts of that. Yeah, there's a couple just offhand moments like, oh, and you're... I thought she's just wearing a skirt now. <laughs> Anyways, Adam Strange kidnaps the League. He seems to have lost his mind with the death of his wife and has teamed up with weird brain skull aliens. Yeah. It's a very 90s, not a bad design, but it's a very 90s design. It would have fit perfectly in Superman, the animated series. Mm-hmm. Uh, to take over Ran the planet that Adam Strange works on and do, I I don't quite know what the alien's plan is other than I will control, we will control Ram. Yeah, it's weird too because the aliens are psychics, but they're not like super psychics. Mm-hmm. They still have to rely on the fact that they have just like an army ready to pour in and it's weird. Um, I... I feel like it is actually a really well-designed story, the way that it sort of layers in on top of each other and the deceptions aren't deceptions. It's just, you know, you have to have the full picture. It just, I don't know, like you said, it's kind of weak because we had the John Jones is a traitor but not actually a traitor just a few issues ago. And that one was done better. Yeah, and it was that one was done better. So it just feels... This yeah. is well done. That one's done better and one right after the other this one looks even weaker in comparison. Yeah. It, it's just a little overwhelming. But, I mean, at the very end, when we see Adam Strange, he's sacrificed everything to bring his wife back and to save Ran and to get rid of the invaders and yada, yada, yada. And he has a moment where he's sitting quietly, like, mourning everything he lost, and Martian Manhunter shows up to, like, quietly support him. Very, like, very nicely little done moments. I like that a lot, too. But... The we the problem is the like two or three page intro and then the two page end of the series being your absolute highlights of this makes it harder for me to like everything else, mm-hmm. even if it is well done. The other problem is this is is Mark Wade. And we've talked about it. I love Mark Wade. He is one of the most reliable comic book writers, reliably good comic book writers working of the last 30 years. But he's reliably good writing comics in a run that is brilliant. Right. So what would have been a functionally solid story is just like, you're it's fucking up my pacing off. here, yeah. man. Like, <laughs> it's still a drop off. Mm-hmm. And then we jump back in with, I'm really curious what you think of this one. Basically, Grant Morrison's love letter to both Starro the Conqueror and Sandman. Uh, that's an interesting one. Um, I love Sandman and he is still Sandman, but I'm not a big Daniel fan and I have nothing against Daniel. Having not read much of Sandman, I like Daniel's design better. I don't, but I can see that. Literally, it's the gold. Mm. If we're being honest, I like gold. And I don't. And Dream's kind of a bitch. And I mean, Daniel's well, still Dream kind of a bitch. Well, Dream is kind of a bitch, yes. <laughs> um, That's 100% true. He is a mopey bitch. But <laughs> um, No, and I have... That's the thing. I have nothing against Daniel. It's just Daniel doesn't score any bonus points for me. That's so fair. it's always neat to see him, because I'm like, it's still, still Sandman. It's still 
kind of Morpheus. It's not Morpheus, but you know what I mean. Yes, like, it's still Dream. It's, it's still not dream. Sandman. Or it's not Morpheus. Um, but I'm yeah, I'm just partial to Morpheus Sandman because mm-hmm. I'm a whiny emo bitch too. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember. I don't know the timeline of when this book came out and when Sandman ended close enough. I know this would have been just after Sandman ended or just towards the end of Sandman. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure on what the Morpheus dies, be, but like basically at the end of Sandman. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, during Kindly Ones, which is the the ninth collected trade. So, and there's what ten? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, within the last year of Sandman, or immediately after, mm-hmm. based off when this came out. I'm just, yeah. I, I guess I was curious of what you thought of it as someone who has read more Sandman, how it holds up as a. It's a, I mean, it, it, it's a decent Sandman book. Uh, It's, it's definitely, like, it still feels pretty Gaiman-ish because, honestly, Gaiman and Morrison have a lot of overlap. They're close enough that they can write each other's work pretty well. Yeah, I think, I think they have a lot of the same, the, background and thoughts on certain things and willingness to get weird with big concepts. And they've purposely referenced each other's stuff in other places. Mm-hmm. I know uh, Gaiman's referenced Morrison in some spots, but I can't think of where off the top of my head. So it's probably, I probably like it better than some other Sandman stories, but it's not near the top of my list. It's a prom- It's the hard part of Sandman is so tied into Gaiman that when it's not written by Gaiman, you can just feel it. Even when it's great writers. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked bringing Starro in and connecting him at least a little bit to the world of Sandman. That was fun. I thought that that made a lot of sense with the way Starro operates. Starro's a little weird in this one because they kind of treat it like they've never... They've seen a Starro before in a one-off issue that we that aren't in any of the collections here. Um, which I've read it before. It's fine. It's a... Starro invasion story, but they treat it like they haven't really met Starro otherwise. Uh, I think the highlight for me of this was like, it was a fine Sandman story. It's fine as far as the rest of these stories go, though. Um, I don't know. Like this volume, it was also kind of a step down compared to what we got done with. That's what we're saying. Um, And And it was fine. What I thought was really cool was like the linking... The, the getting in there and linking through Aquaman and him being able to telepathically, mm-hmm. like, connect with Starro due to, like, the sea connection. My favorite bit is uh, Martian Manhunter going high enough up in the atmosphere that he can finally see Starro and he's the size of, like, an, uh, a great lake or a sea or a bay or something. Like, yeah, he's, he's so fucking big. And uh, Orion getting pissed and attacking was funny to me, at least. Like, oh, Orion's coming in. And then he gets wrecked, but that's fine. The placement at the end, where it turns out the... One of the running bits is the reason Daniel got involved is a kid in this dream is aware that something is wrong. Because Starro's been taking over people in their dreams, And he's trying to remember, and he can't quite remember Superman. And Daniel decides to help because dream gonna dream, Mm -hmm. I guess. 
and then it ends up the the like final page big reveal or second to last page big reveal is that the kid is not actually a kid. He's a homeless man. Farmer it looks like a Vietnam vet in the yeah. way that he's drawn. I it's a fine twist. I don't know that it necessarily added anything. I I mean, I feel like the overall story was like commenting on not just commenting on the important the importance of ideas of heroes, mm-hmm. which that's cool. But the actual execution reminded me a bit of fear her, which isn't a great episode of doctor who Oh, fear her is possibly the worst episode of the new doctor who series. The twist um, made it a little bit better in my opinion, but not by much. It just made it a little bit less fear her. <laughs> uh, possibly my favorite thing. And this is something I would not have gotten if I had read this last year was they show the Sandman's, like, Sandman takes the Starros, the Starro Conquerors, puts them in basically a fishbowl and puts them in a treasure chest. I would not have understood the other references in the treasure chest. Oh, because what? Like, there's the Corinthian skull that's in there. And the, uh, it's a floating blackness with a bunch of, like, teeth oh, and stuff in it. Which is Yeah, that's Azazel from Hell. And I just, it's not important, but I wouldn't have gotten it. I really like this book. It is probably the weakest of the collections just because. And it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. That's the problem. It's fine. And you and I have talked about this a lot on this show. The hardest thing to review in a podcast is something that is fine. Because, yeah, because there's nothing overflowing to say and there's nothing (laughs) to fucking rag on. So it exists the best thing that this does and why it's important is it sets up the league in the like next level evolution that it is. Mm -hmm. And that matters. It's a a transition phase. Yes, exactly. Um, and that brings us to DC 1 million. I fucking loved 1 million, dude. I loved 1 million. I think I have a lot of thoughts on this one. I haven't read 1 million in a long time. I would love one day to do an episode that is the entire 1 million Mm. because 1 million is a classic DC event comic. So there's a mini event series. There are various books that have important moments that happen in them. And then there are, but like almost every book, there's a fucking Hitman 1 million, I think. Amazing. And they've done a a big collected edition that I've always meant to pick up, but I don't buy omnibuses very often Mm -hmm. because they're fucking expensive. Yeah, they are. But, I mean, it's, you know, like 30 comic issues in it. I think I enjoy this. I agree with you. It's a lot of fun. I think I will enjoy it more if I ever got to read the whole... Like, every The whole thing. I think this brings up Grant Morrison's biggest weakness as a writer. And it is big crossover event comics. I should say, that's not event comics. He does great event comics. It's when he has to tie... Thank you. It's when they have to tie in a bunch of other interconnecting small stories, which is one of the hardest storytelling devices to do. This is going to sound mean, so I'm not going to name any names outside Morrison, but I feel like it's almost harder for them because they tend to do really big brain stuff and then they have to work in other writers' works. Chuck Dixon. Um <laughs> <laughs> You don't have to put it in the edit. Who are you thinking of? Just in general. Oh, okay. Uh, No, I I agree. But it's... I lent you this collected edition after reading it because I was like, fuck, I don't think... 
is uh, the DC 1 million or JLA 1 million collected edition brings in moments from Superman 1 million, Batman 1 million, uh, JLA 1 million. Because mm-hmm. every side issue was that issue 1 million. And I think if we didn't have those random bits, this story wouldn't make a lick of sense. So if you just no. read the JLA miniseries or the DC 1 million miniseries alone, it would be like, indecipherable i feel like one of the little bits didn't help but one of them was absolutely crucial i i like the first one we run up against that explains like all the little quests they did in between i'm like okay yeah i needed to know that and then one of the later ones it was like and then this happened and i was like okay i whatever i can put that together the starman moment from starman one million is absolutely essential now i also Mm -hmm. love starman so any of the James Robinson Starman run was very important. But I mean, without that moment, anything Starman did in this run would have made no sense. Uh, some of the Titan stuff was important. I, th- I think the Batman one is very important. I think the Superman one is very important, but um, the basic concept of this is we've met our man during rock of ages. Yes. Our man is a member of justice Legion alpha, which is, Kind of a doofy name, but here we have it. Who is the Justice League of the year one million. They borrow heavily from the original Guardians of the Galaxy, like the future Freedom Fighter ones, not the, you know, ones we all know today. Right. Where each one protects an entire planet themselves. Which is fun. Cool. Yeah, great. Because the original Superman Prime is emerging from the sun after... Hanging out for 15,000 years. I couldn't remember if it was 15,000 or 150. Either way, he's been living in the sun forever in a fucking day. Uh, in his new fortress of solitude. Which is the sun. They bring back the original Justice League to the future so they can do basically like show pieces, which I would have loved to see. Yeah, it, it sounded like they were being brought back to like almost be like in a version of uh gladiators yeah kind of gladiator sport like or at least like circus show stuff like i can see why batman's like absolutely not and i can see why the rest of them are like hell yes (laughs) this sounds great i feel like poor superman they don't put enough time into what a fucking mind fuck this has to be for poor superman who not only finds out he'll still be alive a million years in the future but that he'll spend fifteen thousand years in the sun yeah, they, they focus on it a little bit more towards the very end, but... They give him yeah no time. We do get to meet the Justice League of the year one million, and they're all mostly substitutes. We have Our Man instead of Martian Manhunter, basically, and then Star Man as the, like... Oh, instead of Green Lantern. Yeah. Or, yeah. Um, but Superman from the year one million is basically a more over-the-top Silver Age Superman... The fact that he says up, up and away every time that he's got bizarre superpowers that no one's even thinking of kind of ties into classic Superman is Mm -hmm. uh, 70s Superman where his superpower set is whatever's useful for this issue. I want to know more about Wonder Woman 1 million. Oh, yeah. The like made out of living marble Mm -hmm. with like a, a shield and like robotic gauntlets that can help fight. Um, I mostly just like seeing Aquaman 1 million get punked a lot because he was a jerk. 
Yep. Wasn't that interesting? Yeah. He was... Aquaman is hard enough to make interesting on his own ever, so Aquaman spinoffs, if you're not Calder from Young Justice, I don't super care. Uh, Batman was fine. I wish we knew a little bit, like they revealed a little bit more about him during this, too. Yeah, they don't tell us shit. No. Uh, the design is fire, though. I mean, it's still very good. It's still just Batman-y, but it's, it's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. He's got the cool shoulder pads. Mm-hmm. He's got a slightly different. I would love that in one of the Arkham games. I would run around in that all the time. Look, to bring up a different costume, not Batman's. Uh, this comes up so little that I have not gotten to bring up my love for this costume choice in the past. I love costumes that have little quantum locked floaty bits. <laughs> like fucking the Flash from Million. Well, he's not from Million. He's a time traveler too. But yeah, he's from a a previous Flash storyline <laughs> that mm-hmm. I've not read. Uh, named John Fox, which is a reference to Gardner Fox, who was one of the creators of the original Fla- of the Barry Allen Flash. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's the time traveler Flash. Like he's the one that just stuck in the time stream for whatever reason. But I love floaty bits. I found them kind of obnoxious on him, but I get why you like them. Like they are, I I have characters that I really like that on. I I almost like Glob Herman just because he is kind of also floaty based, but it's a skeleton. Um, So the armor for that matter too, but the basic plot line of this one is Vandal Savage being at his most Vandal Savage has been coming up with a plot for a million years, basically where knowing that the Justice Legion is going to go back in time. So that's almost the more interesting part, is that the million references more his plan because they're not in the year million. They're in the 853rd mm-hmm. century or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. I do like that Just the Justice Legion Alpha is giving proper credit to the Legion of Superheroes as well as the Justice League. But uh, let's let me see if I have this right. Because it's a Grant Morrison plot, so sometimes it gets a little wibbly-wobbly. Yeah. Vandal Savage, knowing they're going to travel back in the past, teams up with Solaris the Sentient Star, which is the great villain of uh, the Superman legacy in the future, I guess. He's going to be one of the big ones to infect our man with some kind of like nanite virus that it will be known as the our man virus. So when the justice league and the Legion or justice Legion swap places, they both become stuck in their eras because everyone thinks that the justice league doesn't stand a chance in the year 1 million, even though they're perfectly fucking fine. Meanwhile, the Our Man virus doesn't just trap the Legion in the past, the Justice Legion in the past. It infects the entire world and is slowly driving people mad. Like, Mm -hmm. violent mad. Violent mad, yeah. Including past Vandal Savage. Yes. So, there's a couple bits to that. I'm trying to remember whose bit of what plan was for who. Because there was more to it than that. Because um, you also... Solaris recruits Starman. Solaris requires... Your- yeah, recruits Starman to go back and um, plant 
basically a, a the last chunk of kryptonite in the universe. It's called and, the Night Fragment, tying to the original Starman is uh, Ted Knight. Yes. Uh, oh, right. So, so that he can assassinate Prime Superman in the he, future. Mm-hmm. Because Solaris was reprogrammed to not be evil, but he becomes kind of a anti-hero, like hardliner, almost Marvel style thing. And, and is never able to mount up to the Superman family because it's the fucking Superman family. Like, however, I, I think part of what undoes everything at the end and grants Starman the chance to betray Solaris is that he wasn't let in on the fact that he was going to be trapped in the past due mm-hmm. to the hour man virus. And he was pissed about it. Mm-hmm. Also, he's not a good person, but he's not necessarily a genocidal maniac. Right. And there is the implication that possibly Solaris was messing with his brain. And I get the sense that it's not necessarily that he was being mind controlled, but maybe nudged. Right. And that's part of God. It gets dark as he ends up suiciding at the end. Mm -hmm. But that's part of his reasoning. He's like, I can't be sure that I wasn't influenced or that I won't continue to be influenced. But we end up with some fun, weird, wonky stuff of. uh, So even though it doesn't make sense, I love the time travel story trope of having to create the two timelines um, advancing in tandem. Mm, That is always fun. So instead of I'm traveling back immediately to where I was, an hour in the future is an hour in the past. Like I can't. Yeah. That's fun. Or just like you're telling the two stories that are both Mm -hmm. happening and they're affecting, but they're affecting on a linear timeline, even though you know that like this technically happened almost a million years before this. But I like that again, because I like seeing bad things happen to Aquaman 1 million that they show up and they're like, ah, fuck it, whatever. It's the, the secondary league. It's the secondary members, not the big seven. And they hold their own. No problem against the justice league 1 million who should be able to like, who don't even think the like prime big seven stand a chance against them. I also love that it's fucking the huntress who oh, yeah. saves all of time and creation because she comes up with a way of like tricking Solaris. And that all gets, <sighs> they end up having the, uh, the other classic time travel trope. We have to create the villain in the past that is, causing our problem in the future because it's the only way to the scale that this was on though almost it was giving me kind of golden path vibes yeah there's there's something very dunish to this where it's like we have to create this tyrant and we know like we we know know that by doing this million years of genocide and destruction yeah like we're still going to be facing this guy for 85,000 years, we know that we're dooming a Superman by making him. At least one. Also, he's going to form a group called the Justice Jihad. Yeah. (laughs) The JJP. In fairness, this is pre-2001. Jihad had a slightly different connotation to Americans before Mm -hmm. this. Not 1991, 1999. Not 2001. Pre-2001. That's what I was trying to say. 
but yeah, that's very, I hadn't put together Dune-ish, but the moment that, yeah, it's, oh, look, Dune. But it's like, if we don't do this, then everybody dies now. Mm-hmm. In both eras. Yeah. Have you read All-Star Superman? Yes. Okay. Reread it. Okay. After reading this. Like, tonight, if you have the time. Because it borrows so heavily from this. Okay. The main villain he takes on is Solaris. Oh, shit. Okay. Superman 1 million shows up in that. Superman right. Prime, the golden form, the golden, that he, because yeah. he spent 15,000 years in the sun, is this. That Who also, I think, also has a fucking lantern ring? Yeah, he has the green lantern ring now. Um, Which that was super love cool. to make Superman have the green lantern ring off and on. Like, this is the second time we've seen it, because in the, the Key's dreams, Because it does a make a certain amount of sense. Clark would be able to do it. He's got the willpower. Mm-hmm. Also... All-Star Superman ends with Superman moving into the sun for the next however long to fix it. So, like, it's not a direct setup to lead to DC 1 million, but it uses so many of the tropes. It takes a lot of the ideas that clearly he's like, I really liked this, and I never really got to play with it before. Mm -hmm. I do know at one point that Several people put forward proposals to revamp Superman and Mark Wade won with Superman birthright, which is my favorite Superman origin story. Like it's fucking great. So I'm not mad about it, but I know Grant Morrison put one down Mm. that he took bits of for all-star Superman later. So I'm wondering if he was like, definitely going to call back to 1 million. (laughs) Um, Parts of it were super confusing at least while going through it at first and then they explain it like I it's another one of those ones that's really hard to talk about because there's a lot going on in multiple timelines almost a million years apart the older I get the less I like giant crossover event comic books I love a giant event comic book fucking uh, Grant Morrison's multiversity is one of my favorite things he's ever done oh it'd be impossible to describe like doing an episode on it gives me a headache but um the moment that you have to like, man, I better read Superman 1 million to understand what's happening here to get these important moments. I don't, I don't like that. Well, I think the most confusing thing wasn't even, it was <sighs> Batman's like, no, I'm not going to go to the future. And he fucks off back to the Batcave where we see him get fucking rocked by Batman, one Batman, one million. And then the next page, we see him go to the future. And then they don't explain that for like three issues. And they never really explain why it's important for him to be there? No. Or how Batman 1 million knows it's important for it to be there? No, it doesn't. They don't explain why it's important for him to be there. They don't explain how Batman 1 million knows it, that it's important for him to be here. Also, but we do he get sends the Batman's soul into the future, but then Batman's just in a body there. Right. Huh, yeah. That was the part that was most confusing for me, but I was glad that at least, like, they went back and went like, oh, no, I sent his soul. That's what I did when I knocked him the fuck out. There was a reason for this. And I'm like, well, I guess that explains why he was suddenly there. (laughs) (laughs) I do like, this is always amusing to me, of Tim Drake is talking about the back computer, and it's like, it's this, like, quad processor of 10,000 gigabytes squared each or something. And I was like, 
holy shit, that's 20 years later, and that still actually sounds powerful. It's not fucking Johnny Munonic with fucking oh, when he has like uh, megabytes of room in his brain computer. Yeah. And these days wouldn't even fucking have an episode of Ted Lasso fit on there. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I thought about that the last time I watched that movie. I was like, oh, oh, poor Johnny. <laughs> I have so much more memory than you. <laughs> <laughs> My phone has fucking 3,000 times more memory than his thing mm-hmm. does. I love One Million, though, dude. It's a lot of fun. As I said, I really want to read all of it now. Right. I... Still think I'm right on my, like, here's Grant Morrison's weakness as a writer. But I also have read Final Crisis, where he had similar problems of, if you just read Final Crisis without some of the crossover stuff, you're like, this is not a complete story. And it's the fucking fine line of giant event crossovers, and it's why I don't like them as much anymore. You need to tell a complete story that happens entirely in your main book. But you need enough stuff to happen in the side books for them to matter into the crossover for, for the, for the crossover to mat, Yeah. Matter in the first place. And that line, there's like two working writers that can do it. And it's like Dan Jurgens and Marv Wolfman. Brian Bendis was not very good at it. And he tried like six times. Mark Miller was directly terrible at it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Hickman does his best, but it's, still hard to follow Hickman. Well, and I mean, it's just Hickman. You have to like, well, someday I'll sit down and read all <laughs> 80 issues of this. And then it'll be the most brilliant thing I've ever read. But until then I just have to fucking like QAnon trust the plan almost. Like, <laughs> and I'm sorry, Jonathan Hickman to just compare you to QAnon right there. I just, mm. God, did you, Oh, did you see they've announced what his new project's going to be in Marvel? Gods, oh, God, yeah. G dot O dot D mm-hmm. dot S. They released the world's most terrible, like, I motion. Watched it. So did I. It's the voice acting is awful. Um, but he's reinventing gods in the Marvel universe. I'm going, oh, God, I'm really glad that we're not getting to the gods section of New Byland until <laughs> probably next year when that should be done. Because it's just a miniseries. Because everything's uh, going to be changed. And it might actually be thanks to Jonathan Hickman, like as opposed to nothing will be the same ever again, but it will be. I'm, I'm looking forward to it because I enjoy Hickman as a writer. I'm not looking forward to the massive like rewrite I'm going to have to do in my head as retcon after retcon happens. Yeah, Hickman has no problem retconning. Um, or putting in so much detail that even if it's not technically a retcon, it might as well be now that you understand how whatever it is works. And they may or may not pay attention to it post Hickman, but the story will be good enough that who cares? Yep. Yeah, um, I highly recommend you do read DC 1 million. I would look up a reading guide a reading guide to make sure you get some of the important stuff and if you don't understand who mitch shelley the resurrection man is don't worry it doesn't super matter i was glad resurrection man is i like resurrection man but like he's not super important i mean he's important in this because he's the one who finally takes out the the ending is fucking brilliant i loved that Mm -hmm. how it all tied back around that was fucking great oh man if we're gonna talk about fucking dune John merging with Mars to become just 
Mars? Is... I didn't even think about that. That's a oh very God, Dune that's level very shit. Dune. Um, and also, I'm not quite sure I understood why that needed to happen. I don't either. know. I couldn't tell you. I think that just sort of happened over time. <laughs> it was cool, though. Side note, I liked that Titans team. I don't know if they mm. were ever actually collected as like a series of those people trying to be Titans or it was just for this. Mm-hmm. But Arsenal, Tempest, a.k.a. Aqualad with magic powers. Garth. Supergirl and Jesse Quick is not a terrible Titans no. team. You, I would want a fifth member, but I just think five to seven is the ideal superhero team size. So there's that, but Garth Donna Troy, we needed Donna Troy in that. God, that would have been a power heavy team though. Who knows? Maybe, I don't know. Not important. I, I want to talk more about million, but I can't not after only having read it once. We might have to just pick up the omnibus and do an episode on just 1 million. I kept thinking about that as I was reading this of like, God, I don't think we're doing this one justice. justice. Bam, bam, bam. And on that note, <laughs> <laughs> we end it with that. <laughs> yep. Uh, next time we will be reading. I mean, in for me, it'll be the final two volumes, of the Grant Morrison collected edition. It's up through, I think 40, but it's where we're reading through where Grant Morrison leaves the main Justice League book. Right. Which Yeah, that's either 40 or 41. I can't remember. It's right around that era. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be reading everything we haven't read up through that. The following week or following episode, we will do his kind of side Justice League stuff. Um, yep. Yeah, thanks. It's always fun. <laughs> we change one day and I forget how this entire right? fucking podcast works. I am such a creature of habit. All right. In the meantime, we're your generals of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. Dismissed. Hi, everybody. General Tyler here. If you like the show, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us right now, or preferably over at Apple Podcasts, we would super appreciate it as the whole world is around on algorithms and we want to be all up in them, getting our voice out to more places. Uh, also, I mean, tell your friends, we always appreciate that. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, ask us questions, give us comments, email us generalnerderypod at gmail.com. You can also contact us through our website, www.generalnerdcast.com. Uh, while you're there, check out all of our back catalog or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earworm Podcast Network. Uh, go check out all of our sister shows. We're involved with most of them, so if you already like listening to us talk, it might be in your best interest. And if you want to check out everything from the network, head over to earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. We'd super appreciate it. Love you all. Have a good one.